drink your milkshake. <laughs> I drink it up. Mind if I the University of Alabama and Tuscaloosa, you're listening to Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. And Corey, if you've ever wondered what it really means when somebody's gone Hollywood, so to speak, our guest today can sort of fill us all in. He's worked side-by-side with a filmmaker plenty considered to be one of the best working in the medium today, and he's also worked on an enormously popular reality television show, and recently actually crewed on an upcoming film from a Hollywood legend. And what should interest our listeners here in Tuscaloosa especially is that he managed to accomplish all this after walking away with a degree from the University of Alabama. And joining us from bright and sunny Los Angeles is filmmaker, a UA alum, and former charter member of the reputable local band Lazy Bird. It's Ben Moorhead. Ben, thanks for waking up early out there on the coast. No problem, guys. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before we dive into anything, uh, anything related to Hollywood specifically, let's cover a little ground that we forgot to cover last week during our Best of 2009 show, uh, our special when we had Graham, uh, Matt, and Ben Stark on to discuss you know, our favorite films, scenes, uses of music, and performances of the last year. And it's April now, but it's okay. We can keep it going. Uh, Corey and I forgot to even give our own Best Movies of the Year. We happily let our guests sort of spout off theirs without thinking to tell you folks what we thought were the best films of the year. Uh, maybe we were just thinking of time constraints. Either way, we promise we won't forget after this, but Ben, why don't you go ahead and rattle off your top five or ten of 2009? Uh, I've got, uh, I think I've got my top eight, and I have my, my two uh, guilty pleasures, but I'll go right into it. Uh, I really like Star Trek, District 9, Up, Avatar, Moon, The Hangover, Hurt Locker, and Up in the Air. And then my two guilty pleasures, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and say don't judge me, uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers. So. Wow. But yeah. Is that a nostalgic pick? They're both nostalgic picks, yeah. I, I was completely confused with uh, Transformers the whole time I was watching it. But uh, I think that, that I had to throw that in there just for the, the fact that it was a big, fun movie. And I think uh, that Michael Bay does those films very well. Uh, but I was completely confused as I wasn't the first one. And, uh, and then G.I. Joe was total nostalgia because I'm a huge fan. Um, and I've been waiting for that movie literally for probably, you know, most of my childhood, 25 years at least. So. I don't know, man. If I, whenever I watch the Bay Transformers, the Bay Formers, I guess is what yeah. they're called now, I, I got to pop in the 1986 uh, <laughs> movie. With the top, you know, the touch, the, uh, the amazing song. Yeah. But it sort of you know, permeated pop culture and, and made its way into Boogie Nights and, and everything else. So. Yeah, Vince DiCola makes his way into a lot of people's lives. There's one <laughs> in the trilogy. Yeah? He can work it into that. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, why stop at a trilogy, man? Well, that's, keep, that's it, the, keep the part. I, I think if we go to Cybertron for the next one, you know, it's going to have to make it in there. <laughs> yeah, work Unicron in there, man. You don't think, that, you don't think Orson Welles knew how he wanted to book in his career? You know, he was in Kane to open things, and then he makes Transformers right before he dies. I think he knew what was up. But, it's um, amazing what he did in his career. With that. I, I, I completely forgot about that. And, uh, I think that's his legacy. Never forget, Ben. Um, exactly. I won't now. Yeah, well, Corey, let's run through ours real fast. I think I can pretty much name your top ten. Let me go through the list. Uh, we've got Corey's top ten of 2009. Number one, 500 Days of Summer. Number two, Twilight Saga New Moon. Number three, Avatar. Number four, The International. Interesting pick. Number five, State of Play. <laughs> 
number six, The Lovely Bones. Uh, another interesting one. Number seven, Eddie Murphy in Imagine That. Number eight, uh, The Girl from Gilmore Girls in Post Grad. Number nine, The Hurt Locker, not bad. Number ten, A Rounded Out Law Abiding Citizen, which came out towards the end of the fall. I mean, the worst thing about this supposed list is that I've actually seen all of these movies. Oh, is this not your list? This is not my list. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm afraid to say. Um, though you were, you might have been onto something with the new moon pick. Yeah. We'll see. I was going to say, just, just new moon and no twilight. Uh, I'm going to start with, with the next one so I can sort of work my way back from it. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I hope it's on a date, man. Uh, well, Corey, okay, <laughs> give us your, your real pick. All right. Um, from, from, ten, from number 10 to number 1, uh, number 10 is, is Jane Campion's Bright Star. Number 9, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I have a feeling we'll be hearing about more later in the show. Uh, number eight is uh, Goodbye Solo, the, the indie film from uh, Ramin Barani, which is just wonderful. Um, number seven, Distri District Nine. Number six, Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. Uh, number five, Inglorious Bastards. Number four, the wonderful British comedy In the Loop. Uh, number three, Up. Number two, An Education, which I rewatched a couple nights ago and holds up. And number one, of course, uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen's A Serious Man. Good picks. Good, good picks. Stuff. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Uh, we might have a little overlap here. Let me shoot through my top ten. Actually, uh, I'll start with my worst of the year. Uh, the Box being the first entry there. Oh, I watched yeah. that on DVD recently. It's awful. Uh, Richard, I've heard it's terrible. Richard Kelly is not to be taken seriously at all. I don't think people do anyway. Um, I, you know, I don't understand. I think that he, Donnie Darko, if you go back and watch, I, I just don't get it, man. I do not get it. I'm with you. I don't get what it is. Yeah, it's, I don't get it either. I, I don't understand. He's hypnotizing. And South Tales was just unwatchable. I tried to watch that on Encore one day, and that was like a three-hour mess. You're breaking core art here, Ben, but visibly, I, don't, I don't mind my it. My art is visibly breaking. Uh, my second worst of the year, Jennifer's Body. Um, I don't know what to have expected there because, I mean, I, I looked forward to it because I was a fan of Juno and Diablo Cody's writing, and it just really yeah. stunk. It really did. Uh, is that bad? I'm sorry? Is that bad? It's awful, man. Uh, Corey yeah, actually likes it's it. It's all right. Yeah, but yeah, it's not that bad. I don't know. I guess when it's not in the hands of a you know a, a pretty talented director like Jason yeah. Reitman to sort of tone down Diablo Cody's um, language, uh, yeah. as you heard in the first, especially in the first 20 minutes of Juno, it just got out of control. You got that for the yeah. entire movie. And this pains me. My worst movie of the year is uh, from my favorite filmmaker of all time, Woody Allen's Whatever Works. Oh, you didn't like that? No, nah, man. It's terrible. It's terrible. I thought it was Larry David doing his best Woody Allen impression. It's, uh, I, I couldn't get into it, man. It really it, it makes me sad to say that. But let me let me run through the top ten. You know, the movie I did like number ten, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, really caught me off guard. Awesome, awesome movie. Uh, Star Trek number nine, The Informant number eight, The Hurt Locker number seven, Up number six, The Girlfriend Experience from Steven Soderbergh. Two Soderbergh movies on this list. Uh, number four, Precious. Number three, A Serious Man, Corey's number one. Number two, a movie that I've just recently fallen in love with, completely head over heels, Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, and it's climbing the charts as we speak. And number one, Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. It sits atop that throne. So there you have it, listeners. Those are our top tens. That You got kind of a, a top 28, I guess, with Ben's uh, eight additional. And then two guilty pleasures. Yeah, so. So... Now, there's certainly a healthy portion of film geekdom that's curious for any news on Steven Spielberg's next film, 1010, The Secret of the Uniform, mm -hmm. a production on which our guest uh, worked as a stage technician. Now, I did. I was, I was working for uh, an amazing company called Giant Studios, and uh, they actually did the motion capture for Avatar, 
and they do motion capture for a lot of the films, and, and for your audience, just to give a little idea of what motion capture is, you know, when you see Avatar, and you see all the characters, all the Navi running around, um, that is actually the actor in a suit, and what they do is, the actor goes into, I guess I'll try to give the best version I can of explaining this, I don't want to get too complicated, but the, the actor's on a stage, and within the stage, there's a massive computer-generated set that they're working within, and so, while the actor is on the stage, everything, is, all the actor's movements and everything they're saying is captured by the computer. And basically what they do is, is they put that performance on the computer and go back and render it. And it's not like traditional animation in that the, the uh, visual effects people are, are animating everything from scratch. You know, you do have an actor in there and, and they're capturing their performance. And so what I was able to do uh, was work on the stage, and, and it was an amazing experience uh, to watch somebody like Steven Spielberg work within the medium of motion capture because it's probably the most true filmmaker's medium in that they have complete control because um, while they're working on the stage uh, doing the motion capture, they have what looks like, like a little video game controller, and they can go to any angle on the, uh, on the camera and, you know, swoop in, fly out. It's, it's, I'm not doing it justice, I'll tell you that, but it's an amazing, amazing technology that uh, you know, I think you've got to go and settle with Avatar and, and see what the potential is. But I think Spielberg will definitely take it a step further. Yeah, now Spielberg has never worked with this technology as a director before. Though He's been, I, I think, uh, as a producer in a producing capacity, he's, he's sort of shepherded this. Um, what should audiences expect uh, from 1010 when it's released uh, as far as a Spielberg experience? You know, it's a really fun movie, and I'm not sure if you guys are really familiar with the source material, the, the Hergé comics, but it's, it's really kind of, uh, you know, it's 1930s, it's got that feel, and I'll tell you, it definitely is a throwback to, you know, Raiders, uh, Spielberg, because there's a sense of menace, you know, in the film. It's, it's, it's definitely a, I wouldn't say family film, but I would say, you know, like teenage boys, like it is that, that sense of adventure and it has that sense of whimsy. And I think Spielberg is going back to, you know, sort of that Raiders feeling where he's creating a, a sort of experience where you go and it's fun um, and it's not so light where, you know, you're just kind of taken out of it. Like, there definitely is that sense of, of danger and menace, but at the same time, it's a real fun movie, and it's, it's an adventure. It's going to be cool. Ben, did you get uh, to see Spielberg in action at all and see what his uh, directing process is like up close and personally? Yeah, I was actually, I was like five feet away from him every day, and um, so it was pretty amazing, and I kind of made sure that I was close to him, and uh as far as like staking out my spot on stage, but it's amazing to watch him work um, because he's constantly referencing um, other films. You know, he's seen everything, and so he would throw out like uh, I remember one day in particular. You know, he was working with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and you know, he threw out this reference. He's like, "Okay, you know, do it, do it more like uh, what did he say? Not Buster Keaton, but like some." you know, uh, silent films <laughs> the equivalent, you know, and they kind of looked at each other like, huh? And like Spielberg looked at them like they were crazy because they didn't get this reference that he threw out there for this, you know, I'm sure um, a lot of your fans might have heard of whoever it was, but at the same time, it's like, you know, he is a, an encyclopedia 
of knowledge and to watch him work and draw from that is amazing because he is definitely the most well-versed guy in the room as far as film history, uh, language, you know, he can draw from it at a moment's notice, so it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Ben, go ahead. No, go ahead, I'm turning the interruption. No, uh, so, I mean, December 23rd of next year is when this movie is supposed to be released, correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and so you think, from what you've seen, obviously, uh, you know, I don't know how much of the semi-finished product you've been able to take a look at, uh, but I'm sure they're in. They're, they're pretty heavy in post production. But you've wrapped. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think Red has got it right now. And um, the cool part about motion capture is that you're able to see uh, in real time what's going on, like while they capture it. And uh, so you know, while we were working on the film, you know, they had these monitors set up all over the set, and you're able to watch. So it was cool. You know, watching him color a scene is probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, just because. You see his approach, how he breaks it down, and um, and just sort of how his mind works, and and it was you know truly looking back like one of the, the top I would say three experiences I've gotten to have. So I think it's going to be cool. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Well, now that you've wrapped that, what's on the horizon work-wise? I'm actually it's funny you say that. Uh, I am loosely associated to Star Trek at the moment. Uh, for my day job, I'm archiving the estate of Gene Roddenberry at the moment. Uh, so I'm knee-deep in Star Trek and Star Trek-related whatnot. So. Well, what does that involve, archiving the estate? Uh, well, I, basically the estate is... Gene Rodney passed away in, I think, 91, and his wife passed away in, like, 2008. And uh, so his son runs their company now, and so they just have these... Basically, I would say, warehouse full of, of memorabilia. They got one of everything ever made for Star Trek, and they just want to take an inventory, and so I'm just assisting the estate and, and taking an inventory and, and archiving everything they have, and so I've gone through, it's cool, you know, all the crazy fan, uh, Star Trek fan stuff, and all the memorabilia through the years, and, you know, basically preserving that for them, and uh, so they can hold on to it, so it's, it's a fun experience. Awesome. Well, Ben, let's take a quick break, man. Quick song break, and we'll be right back to talk about what else you've been up to out there on the West Coast. It's all really fascinating, especially with people uh, like me and Corey and anyone else who's listening in the Tuscaloosa area because you are uh, from Alabama, and you're a product of the University of Alabama, so I think it gives a lot of people hope out there for what they can accomplish, and maybe you can touch on how they might be able to do that. So let's uh, take a quick break. This is Talking Heads with Found a Job off of Stop Making Sense. We'll be right back. Our guest is... Ben Moorhead.
We're back here on 90.7 The Capstone. You're listening to Aspect Radio. Our guest is University of Alabama alumnus and current Los Angeles resident Ben Moorhead, who recently rapped on Steven Spielberg's upcoming motion capture film, Ten Ten. Hey, uh, Ben, did you uh, recognize that bed music? I, I was going to say, I am uh, I'm extremely honored to, to have that song played on uh, on your, your show and on the radio. I don't know. At the it, first. It's ever been played on that. I'm sure it probably has. I'm sure a lot of uh, Lazy Bird tunes have been played on 90.7 in the past. And you were actually a DJ here at 90.7, were you not at one point? I was not, you know, it's funny, I, I actually came on uh, your brother Graham's show one time, yeah. and I got briefly banned because uh, my language was not appropriate. So I think Graham put me on probation, possibly. I think but, I've, uh, uh, been in here for one of those studio <laughs> shows. You were there. And yeah. Brian Hoven, I believe, was there. Brian Hoven, yeah. yeah. A legend uh, yeah, around Tuscaloosa as well. And I was going to say that uh, that Lazy Bird show actually came, we recorded that at Galette. Yeah. And your brother was always, uh, and, and you know, I knew you, uh, when, I guess, when you were in high school, when we were in school, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Is that right? I remember you were, um, you were talking about going to school, and, and I remember you were sort of weighing your choices, and uh, and yeah, we used to run around with Graham around then, you would always come to our shows at Galettes, or um, Pounders, and everything, so yeah, we had a good little film crew around that. Nice, nice reference, man. Yeah. That's, 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 oh, yeah. that's been uh, made into many other things since it was Pounders. So, oh God! Uh, I, can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I, I, I won't. I won't go into the details, so you can keep <laughs> memories. But uh, now, nah, man, uh, I remember my brother Graham. He was a student here um, in the film, the TCF department, and uh, he used to run around with you guys, like you said, made movies. And you were in one yeah. of his movies called Dave's Art Film, if you remember. That. I, I love Dave's Art Film, the yeah. GAF. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I remember the opening scene uh, uh-huh. of the movie. You're you're working on this non-linear editing. Bay. Uh-huh. And it just looked, oh, yeah. it looked painful, man. Uh, because oh, now God. You know, they work with. I mean, I'm sorry. It was a linear, uh, linear bay. Linear, they yeah. Work with linear stuff, all the, you know, they're all over Final Cut Pro on the Macs and everything yeah. like that. And back in those days, you were manually not. You weren't doing, you know, the cutting or anything like they do with 35 millimeter film or anything like that. But you were. Yeah. It was close. Did they use like that program? Was it Screenplay or something like that? Uh, or was it the, the VHS one? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It was awful. It was awful. Oh yeah. It makes you well, sick. Then, and your brother, we actually shot at your parents' house. We shot, uh, I made a superhero mockumentary. I mean, this was probably 2001 or 2002, you know, well before The Incredibles came out. We made a superhero mockumentary called Dr. Danger. And uh, it was basically about a washed-up superhero. And Brian Hoven actually played Dr. Danger. And Graham played his uh, former arch nemesis and did, did an amazing job. What was the nemesis's name? I can't remember what the nemesis's name was, but I think he got your family dog made it into the film, and and Graham had, like, this electric wheelchair, and he was wheeling around it. I remember that, yeah. I remember that chair. Okay, well, TCF memories, man. You can't... TCF memories. You can't let them go. Well, uh... Thankful to the department, definitely. Yeah. Wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, well, let's get into that a little bit later. We'll talk about, you know, uh, what students, what what path they might take once they leave the halls of Reese Pfeiffer here where we are right now. Uh, but look, people out there, if you're not prepared to get your envy on, put your finger on the button now, because uh, a while back, Ben landed a job that put him literally side-by-side side with writer-director Christopher Nolan on his 2006 film, The Prestige. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll go ahead and throw a spoiler alert out there. Uh, you look closely while you're watching the movie, um, and that's kind of a reference to the movie, actually. I didn't, I didn't intend that. But uh, you'll notice our guest, Ben, playing the role of Fallon. Um, Alan's trusted bodyguard and assistant. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Ben then went on to work with Nolan on the much beloved 
uh, Batman film, The Dark Knight, the third all-time box office grocer. Um, ben, now that we're all a little jealous, or a lot jealous, uh, tell us a little bit about what those experience was, ex- what that experience was like, and uh, start off by telling us how you got involved, how, how you landed that. Well, I had, I was incredibly lucky, looking back on it now, um, the, it was just dumb luck. Like, I worked on, I don't know if you guys ever, have ever seen the film, but I worked on a little film called uh, The TV Set, and um, it was produced by a guy named Aaron Ryder, and I got to be friends with Aaron, you know, I would just always ask him questions, and I think that he knew, you know, that I was genuinely interested in film and, and the process, and you know, I'll go ahead and say, Encourage anyone that's thinking about moving out here, uh, don't ever be afraid to, you know, ask questions. And, and, you know, it's the biggest form of flattery that you can give someone is to ask them questions about their job or, or the process or what they do on the film. You know, wait till an appropriate time. Uh, but definitely always ask questions. And I formed this friendship with Aaron, and I think that, you know, he, he saw that uh, I was, motivated and focused and this is what I wanted to do and so when we wrapped on um, on the TV set he gave me the opportunity to go and work as Chris's assistant on the Prestige and you know I'd been a fan of Memento and I was a fan of Batman Begins and you know following and uh, Insomnia so I was like yeah of course I'll go do it and, and basically just fell into it like that and had a really amazing time so it was very cool so I'm really curious about how you wound up in the prestige because uh graham had seen the movie uh, back in the i guess the fall winter 2006 and uh he you know he told me he said you know what ben you know he worked on the movie he he was uh, nolan's assistant but he's also uh involved in another way and he wouldn't tell me what that was because obviously it was a spoiler and i was like all right whatever i'll watch out for it and i'm about like halfway through i guess and it just hit me and I was like, you know, I'd seen your character the whole time. I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's Morehead. Morehead's in the movie. Morehead's Alan. I couldn't believe it, man. And uh, so, I mean, just how did, how did he, you know, did, obviously you're playing uh, a version, I guess. Nobody knows at that point, but you're playing Borden's twin. Um, yeah. Did Nolan, you know, look at you and say, well, you guys have a similar body type? or? Um, no, it, it, was, it was funny uh, because, you know, when you're working for a director on a, on a you know, a big film, you're kind of constantly doing stuff. You're running around and, and basically just trying to keep them happy, you know, so they can keep the ship running. And uh, Peter Rob King, who was actually the, the makeup department head on the TV set, he did films like, yeah, he did Batman Begins, and he did The Dark Knight, and he goes all the way back to, like, Alien. Like, he's a legend, amazing makeup artist. Uh, but I became friendly with him. And uh, one day we were on set, and he was looking at me, and I was like, you know, what's up, Peter? And he's like, this old, gruff British guy. He's like, come to the trailer. You know, I'm like, all right. And so I walk with him, and he's like, sit down. And I sit down in the chair, and he starts pulling out wigs and prosthetics and starts, you know, putting all this stuff on my face. And I was like, oh, you know, what are you, what are you doing, man? And uh, he sort of looked at me and then looked at a picture of, of Christian as Fallon. And I think it sort of went off in his head that, okay, you know, this will work. And it basically came from, they had another guy who was, uh, who was Christian's double, and he was just a little too skinny as far as trying to play the Fallon character. So, like, when Christian was playing Borden, um, they would use him because where they did pretty much try to do everything practically. And, uh, you know, Chris's whole thing was, like, he doesn't like to use visual effects, like, everything in camera. 
and so they pretty much do everything practically. And so when you see Christian on screen, you know, you're always going to see the double on screen with him as far as, as somebody either in makeup or, um, you know, they're going to cut to him. And, uh, and so they basically, the, the Peter, the makeup department head said, well, hey, I think that, that this will work better for you uh, than the other guy. And so he put me in the makeup and the full get up and marched me down to set. And I think Chris was getting a little angry because he couldn't find me. And, uh, and so they just marched me on set. And, you know, I think Christian, the first day I did it, Christian was in set as Fallon. And so they dressed me up too. And it, it was flattering because I'm about the same height and the same build as Batman. So I was thrilled about that. But, you know, they stood us right next to each other, and nobody could tell the difference, actually, except Chris uh, was the only one that could tell us apart. So that's pretty much where it came from. Just, again, dumb luck and, you know, falling into it. So uh, that was my, my, I guess, my first step into acting. Uh, I never stepped back into it again, so that was all I needed. Well, if your only acting job was in a Christopher Nolan movie, I guess that's something you can brag about. But that it wasn't, sort of, it wasn't bad. Yeah, that segued into... The Dark Knight and what you did yeah. on there, and I'm curious as uh, to what you might have done on that movie. You know, it was, that was looking back again, man. Hindsight, uh, that was an amazing experience because you know my role with the company was a little more involved. Um, I was not on set while they were shooting because I was running. Chris and uh, his wife Emma Thomas had a company, uh, Warner Brothers, called Syncopy. and so while they were gone, I ran Syncopy, but I was here for all the pre-production. And it was amazing, man. Like, um, I'll go ahead and tell you, Chris is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And so to watch his process and to learn from him and sort of see how he goes through from pre-production into production, um, I was able to see all of the, the concepts for, like, the back pod and all the looks they came up with for the Joker. And I remember when they were coming up with new costume ideas for the, uh, for the back suit. And it was amazing. You know, I remember the first time uh, Heath came in and tried on the uh, the Joker costume. I was at his first fitting, and I just remember him walking around, and he kind of had the, the beginnings of the voice, and he had the posture, and, you know, you see him kind of moving around, and he didn't have the makeup on. Um, but I remember, you know, all of that so clearly and thinking, okay, you know, this could be cool. And now seeing his performance, you know, seeing that germ of the idea sort of forming right there, it was amazing. And... Yeah, it was cool when uh, when Chris picked Heath, he actually, the other assistant and I, uh, he asked us, you know, who we liked better. It was down to two actors. And uh, he was like, you know, who do you like better, so-and-so or Heath? And me and the other assistant actually said, well, you know, we like so-and-so better. And who's he was the, like, no. Nah. Uh, I can't tell you, man. I wish I could. That's that's the other thing is uh, is that, that Chris is, is big on secrecy, so I have to, to respect that. That's why he doesn't have uh, DVD extras or anything, because like, you know, he wants the, the film to stand uh, as it is. But I'll tell you, a lot of people, uh, a lot of really cool people, um, you know, met with him and, and were up for the part. But uh, he's a good actor and somebody that's done some, some cool stuff. And maybe when we're not on the radio, I'll, I'll tell you and I'll let you know. Channing Tatum? <laughs> yeah, someone along the lines of Channing Tatum will go with that. Okay. Uh, but it was an amazing experience, yeah. And Chris, again, like Spielberg, when you watch him work, um, Chris is not behind monitors at Video Village. He's up there with the actors. He is working with his DP. Um, he knows every. He knows what everybody does on set, and he is. I mean, he runs the whole thing. I mean, he's like 
a conductor, and, and I have the utmost respect for him, and, and honestly, like, to learn from him, um, that was my film school. Um, you know, everything I learned at, at UA was a great experience, and to take that out here, you know, to ultimately be able to get that job, that was, like, my grad school, because learning with Chris, he's an incredibly responsible filmmaker, him and his wife, both Emma, um, and they're smart, and they do everything under budget um, and on schedule, and they're responsible. I mean, there are no, there's no, you know, BS or, or funny business. They don't tolerate it, and that's why they're really well respected. And I think that's why they make great films because they hold everything in such high regard, and they respect the material, and they respect the studio. And um, you know, I think that that's why Chris is had such great luck. In addition to being a really talented filmmaker. Well, Corey, uh, before we get to another question about that uh, universe, I guess. Um, I kind of want to go off script here and ask one more. You worked, obviously, you worked closely with Christian Bale on The Prestige, and you were also, you know, working on The Dark Knight. I'm not sure what the extent was uh, working with him on that. But with The Prestige, I mean, you saw his behavior on set. You saw how he worked, and uh, he's a great actor. None of us can deny that. But, I mean... You've seen Newsies. Yeah, I have seen Newsies uh, and Swing Kids. Um, but, uh... I, I'm curious. I mean, we're all aware of the rant, man. We're all aware of yeah. the onset rant on Terminator Salvation. And yeah. I was wondering, obviously, Wally Feister is not going to get that sort of treatment. He's the man. Uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he's the best at what he does. Yeah, uh, he's in, good, in, man. In a certain regard. Um, but did, did, did any of his behavior on the set of The Prestige or, you know, perhaps Dark Knight, I don't know if you're on that set, but did any of his behavior sort of foreshadow that? Were folks kind of scared to mess with him while he was getting in character and uh, doing a scene? Uh, Christian is a pretty, he's, he's an, uh, kind of intense guy. He takes it really seriously, but when he's not on set, he's extremely nice. And I think that he just, he does what he does. And, and so, like anyone that, that, that has passion for what they do, they, they definitely take it seriously. But I'll tell you a really funny story. Um, when I was on set, and I think it was one of the nights, it's the scene in The Prestige where um, Borden is leaving the show, and he's, like, walking out, um, you know, the back of the stage, and it's where Angier uh, follows him, and then Fallon follows him, and I think that, uh, like, Angier falls into the into the little thing, is that right? I think that that's right. And, uh, or no, Fallon falls into the thing. And uh, and so, we, me and Christian were setting up for that scene, and it was on the Universal backlot, and we were just standing in this little small space, and Christian singing this song, he's like, and I was like, I heard Bumblebee, and I heard this, and he kept singing it over and over, and I was a little bit timid, and afraid to ask him, but finally I was like, hey man, what are you singing? <laughs> and, He's like, oh, man, so, uh, he's like, my daughter's got this little toy, and it's this little stuffed bumblebee, and he's like, you know, in the night when she wakes up, I always step on it when I walk outside to a room, and so I get the song stuck in my head, and, uh, and, and so it was like a really funny, light moment, and so I had a laugh at that, and, uh, so, you know, he just takes it, he takes it seriously because he loves it, but he is not a total psycho, um, really nice guy, and had nothing but good, positive experiences with him. I heard he blew up at Steven Spielberg like that on Empire of the Sun. Yeah. <laughs> As a young child, yeah. You'll never work in this town again, Mr. Spielberg. This is an outrage. So, so. Speaking, returning to the subject of uh, Christopher Nolan and secrecy, obviously everyone is curious about his, his next film, Inception, mm -hmm. uh, which comes out this July. Um, and he's only described it in the vaguest possible terms as, as an adventure within the architecture of the mind. Mm -hmm. um, do you know anything about Inception and what we can expect from that? 
You know, I, I can tell you uh, a little bit, like everything that I know um, is, is that he, it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. I'll first of all tell you that. Um, but what I do know, yeah, it's, it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. And as far as, as the story is concerned, it is, Chris is a huge James Bond fan. And so I think that it's his version of, of James Bond is sort of what he wants to do. But at the same time, he's a sci-fi fan. And so, um, you know, I think that, that it's melding those two genres, that, that, or those two, I guess you could say genre and brand, two things that he likes, and into one thing. And I think it's going to be amazing. I, I know you guys have probably seen the trailer. And, you know, with the city bending over on itself, um, uh, you know, my mind was blown with that. But... Um, I got the feeling when we were doing Dark Knight, I felt like he was going to do something completely different and, and step away and do an original idea. Um, because that's just who he is. I mean, he's, he's got a background in literature, and the guy is just so smart. And I think with most filmmakers, you know, if you're working with the studio and you're having to deal with a brand as big as, as Batman, you know, you have to step away from it and do something completely different and, you know, satisfy yourself you know, in your own intelligence, or, you know, you kind of go crazy. And I think what he did with Batman was great, but Inception is the film that he wanted to make that, you know, sustained him creatively and allowed him to step away. So I guess that's a very obtuse way of saying a little bit about it, but, uh, you know, I can't go into too much great detail about what I do know, but that's what I'll give you. No, obviously we're all looking forward to that one. Uh, And and recently, speaking again of... of sort of shepherding a brand, uh, there were reports that uh, he would be involved in some way, in a, and I think the report said a godfather position with the mm-hmm. Superman franchise, which has been ailing at Warner Brothers lately. Uh, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's funny because when I heard that news, I actually called their office and I tried to get me and my writing partner in to pitch them on a take we'd come up with. <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, I think they're going to do a great job. I, I'm still pretty close with his brother Jonah, too. And um, Jonah has been doing some work from what I understand. And so I think whatever they do is going to be great. And, you know, it's funny because I think people, when Batman Begins came out, um, everyone, it, it sort of redefined the superhero genre and added this element of realism to the extent that if you're going to get the audience to buy something fantastic, like a guy running around on rooftops and dressing up as a bat, you have to insert this small amount of, of reality into it. And my writing partner and I coined the term uh, Nolan Realism because it's definitely different from Spider-Man. I feel like Spider-Man's whimsical and has a certain level of fun, but at the same time, you know, you feel like you're, you're watching a movie, whereas with, with Batman Begins and Dark Knight, I think that there is more of an edge of realism to it. But I think they'll add that to Superman, and I hope Superman doesn't lose some of what makes it fun and makes Superman fun and a little bit fantastic. But I think what they want is for Chris to uh, to be able to, to sort of put his his seal of approval on it because he has incredibly high standards. And so I think with him and Goyer and Jonah working on the project, um, that they're going to be able to to kind of give it that their own personal brand of uh, you know quality or like seal of approval. And so I think that that's where it comes from, and that's what it comes down to is that they're going to take it to the next step because. Superman Returns, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I was incredibly bored with it. And, you know, I think that it was, it had way too much reverence for, you know, the old Donner film. 
And I think you just need to do something interesting with Superman because he's boring. And so they're going to do something interesting more than likely. I thought it was okay. I mean... I like it. Yeah, Corey, Corey likes it. I, I like it okay. Um, and I know a lot, a lot of folks that you know I, I, I talk to and talk movies with, they also like it. But I agree. There's there. When I watched that, I thought to myself, well, I think that they're sort of on the right path uh, visually uh, and, and tonally in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think the sequel... And I, you know, I anticipated Singer might be on board for a sequel as well. Uh, but I just mm-hmm. remember thinking to myself, I, I really do think the sequel to this will probably be better now that yeah. they know what they're trying to do. But I think it's interesting what you were saying earlier about uh, Nolan making the films he wants to make after mm-hmm. he's poured himself into uh, the Batman films, which you know he did an excellent job with, especially The Dark Knight. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm interested in the movies that are sandwiched in between those Batman movies, yeah. like The Prestige, which I think is his best movie, and I think it's one of the best movies of the decade actually and so now I agree. That, yeah now that you have inception which might fall into that category to a movie between batman movies because obviously we we anticipate a third batman movie there's one in development mm-hmm. uh as we speak but i you know i really look forward to inception as the movie that sort of follows the prestige so i'm really pumped about that but uh i mean giving giving chris 200 million dollars is a great idea to make a film i mean i think he is going to blow people's minds and you know and uh, i'm sorry the, the prestige i, I Probably, I've seen every cut of that film, and still to this day, uh, it's one of my favorite movies. And I think that if you watch it, it always holds up. It's very smart, and I think Chris is just going to build on that with Inception. So yeah, I'm pumped. But uh, let's take yeah. another, let's take another quick break, then, if you'll uh, stick around for a little bit longer. Of course. Um, but we'll be right back. Our guest is Ben Moorhead, UA alum and uh, filmmaker and resident out in Los Angeles. Uh, this is Aspect Radio. We'll be right back. This is Yes. Maybe I'm spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. I should probably be trying harder to score chicks. Money points ever. And we're back on 90.7. This is Aspect Radio. Our guest is University of Alabama graduate Ben Moorhead, currently a filmmaker and actively working crew member in Los Angeles on major productions such as Steven Spielberg's upcoming film Tin Tin and Christopher Nolan's films The Prestige and The Dark Knight. Now, Ben, immediately after graduating, uh, you, you headed straight to Los Angeles. Uh, what that is was your correct. kind of thought with that? Yeah, I always, uh, I just never found anything else, to be completely honest. I always have loved film, um, and I've always been fascinated by the process, uh, and it's just something I, I knew I always wanted to do, and uh, so for me, there was no question. Um, I, I got my degree in uh, telecommunications and film, uh, with a focus on film studies, and a minor in painting and American studies. To be completely honest, if this doesn't work out, I don't really have any backup plans. But, uh, yeah, I, I always just wanted to do it, and, and I, you know, I guess graduated in 2003, and the rest is history. I've been on you since, so. Well, uh, Ben, you've told me before that you have some projects of your own in development. Now, without getting mm-hmm. too specific, because I know you maybe can't at this point, tell us a little bit about the process of getting your own work developed and what that involves. You know, I mean, it's, it, the whole thing is, uh, it is a painful at times, but extremely rewarding experience. But we, uh, my writing partner, I'm really lucky to work with a very talented writing partner. Uh, his name is Ian Freed. 
and he is actually a USC uh, alumni. And we actually met at Warner Brothers, and uh, he was working for Brian Singer at the time while I was working for Chris. Um, but we've been working together for, I guess, uh, a year and a half now, five, five, but, um, and we were lucky enough to get a manager from uh, a spec script that we wrote, and uh, our script went out and got a really good response. It didn't sell, but we got a really good response and, and took meetings. And we had about 30 general meetings with you know everybody like DreamWorks, Fox, and, and Universal, and, and all the majors and a lot of really good companies. And um, basically, for us now, at, at this point, if we have an idea, we go to our manager and we say, you know, Jeremy, we've got this idea, you know, we want to see this, this film try to get this thing made, and he'll tell us whether or not if he thinks it's something that people would be interested in, and we go from there, and so we flesh it out, and usually we come up with a treatment, and uh, we send a treatment to, you know, executives that we have relationships with, and sort of go from there. So one of our current ideas is, is a science fiction film that we're really excited about, and uh, we sent it to an executive box, and he liked it, and so we've kind of been working on it since then, and it's really just, you know, it's a collaboration, and you sort of have to trust the other people that you're working with, but at the same time, you have to trust yourself and rely upon your own taste, because executives are always going to tell you, other people are always going to try to put their two cents in, because, you know, with film, it is a collaboration, but at the same time, everyone wants to, to sort of put their mark on it or to, you know, have their ideas input. But as the, as the writers, we have to kind of stick to our guns. And, and ultimately, I think the most important thing is to remind yourself, you know, is this something I would want to see? Is this something that I am invested in that can creatively sustain me for X amount of months or the process? Um, because you really have to marriage the material. And you really have to, to commit to it on a level. Because whenever I write something, um, you know, I get to know the characters. And it's in my head and it's constant. And so at the same time, you know, while you're married to it, you have to, to you know, like have it in your head constantly. You have to be able to disconnect from certain ideas if they don't work. Because, you know, say what you are, I think a lot of people, one of the questions I always get when I go home is why are movies so bad? And I don't think that it's that movies are necessarily bad, but I think that nowadays to, to turn a profit on films, like a big movie, a big film, you have to, to make it as broad as possible, and you have to appeal to everyone. And so as a writer, you're aware of that, and I think the executives are extremely aware of that, but at the same time, you know, you just always have to ask yourself, you know, is this something I want to see and trust your own taste, and, and hope that everyone else is in line with that. And so... It's tough, man. It's really fun. I love the process. I love working with, with executives. Um, and it's always interesting to see what comes out. So it's cool, but it's heartbreaking at times and painful and rewarding and you know, all the ups and downs. It's like a relationship. You know, you're married to it. It's uh, part the material and, and you, know, you go through a lot. And ultimately, you know, you hope that you can get out there and it can ultimately become a film. That's the, the goal. So it's tough. It's a long road. Now, obviously, there are probably a lot of uh, imminent UA graduates who are interested in pursuing a similar path uh, by heading out to Los Angeles. Um, you know, I personally know a lot of aspiring screenwriters and uh, aspiring directors who are, who are looking to go out there. Um, what would you say to them? Uh, what, what would be your advice 
for them to get their foot in the door, so to speak, uh, in, in this industry? Yeah, it's, it's so, I'll go ahead and say it's extremely hard. I mean, this is the hardest thing I've ever done uh, as far as trying to work in the film industry and, and to get to this point. Because what you'll find when you move to Los Angeles and you start working, you know, in a day job to support yourself, um, you know, first of all, I want to wish everybody, I would love to have more Alabama people out here. We have a great community, and I'll encourage anyone that is uh, a UA student or graduate that's interested in coming out here to, um, to pursue it. Because being from the South, you know, I always felt like that offers an interesting experience and gives you interesting insight on life. And I would say don't listen to anyone else as far as if they tell you you can't. Just do it. It's a huge step. But do it, but be as smart as you can about it. And, you know, if you want to be a director, if you want to be a writer, have something else that allows you to, have another skill that allows you to live. Because um, when you move out here, you're going to be, the entry-level job is being like a production assistant, you know, on a TV show or a movie. And that's tough. I mean, that's like a 14, 16-hour day. And by the time you get done doing that, um, you don't want to go home and write. You don't want to try to make a film on the weekend. You want to sleep because, you know, you're worn out after working 65, 70 hours a week. And so for me, I had to step away from doing all that so I could focus on my own stuff. You know, I would encourage people to learn editing, come out here to try to be an editor's assistant, or to learn something specialized as opposed to just trying to, to jump in because that's immediately going to raise your stock and, and put you ahead of everybody else if you have. You know, if you get in the camera department or if you have editorial or visual effects or sound skills. And then you can always do your own stuff on the side. Um, but going the route that I did as far as just coming out here and, and working in production and being a production assistant and working my way up, that was tough. Um, so I would say the biggest thing is to, to try to focus on one thing that you can, you, one skill that you can do out here that allows you to focus on your own stuff when you, when you move and, and allows you to have the time to do it. Ben, you told me that you're not uh, a member of WGA and you don't currently have an agent. What kind of representation do you have, and where does that lead you without an agent or guild memberships, and how do first-timers get out there and get rep properly? Yeah, I was really lucky. We were, I have an amazing manager who's also a producer, and uh, his name is Jeremy Bell, and I'm rep by the Gotham Group, and they're a great company. They, they also produce uh, content. They produce Coraline and Spiderwood Chronicles and... They have a lot of deals with publishers. And so, in addition to being a management company, they also represent, I'm sorry, they're also a production company. And so, the way that it is now is that you're not going to get an agent unless you sell something or until you sell something. And that's just because with the agencies merging, or with CAA being, uh, for your audience, I don't know if they're, if they're familiar with all the agencies, but basically the big agencies are CAA, William Morris, Endeavor, ICM. Uh, UTA, and with the agencies merging and the agencies basically becoming studios in themselves, um, the game has changed. And so you're going to have to, you're going to meet a lot of resistance just because it's so competitive. And you, I guess to get a manager, you know, write a script, obviously, but uh, just send them out there, you know. It's, I, I got mine through uh, a friend that, that read our spec, Helios, and um, she said it wasn't for her, but she sent it to our current manager, and, and he loved it, and he saw something in it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just all about writing and, uh, and sending it out there and not being afraid to take rejection and, 
you know, the whole thing, it's like the hardest thing to have is somebody saying, no, I don't like this. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to prepare yourself for that because everything is a struggle in trying to, to sell it or trying to get something made. It's all an uphill battle. And so that's the first step, you know. Eventually, you're going to have to let people read it. And, you know, that's the first step in the journey. So just send it to as many management companies, send out the query letters, and, uh, and hope for the best, fingers crossed. Well, Ben, man, we've really enjoyed this, and uh, we're, we're starting to run out of time, but we actually have some listener feedback, uh, and they've got a question yeah. for you. Um, and first off, this listener wanted to throw out their one of their worst of the year, uh, like we were talking about before for 2009. They said where the wild things are is actually on the <laughs> worst of the year. But um, <clears throat> their question for you, Ben, is mm-hmm. uh, since you've moved out there, have you embraced Scientology? <laughs> you know, I used to live on uh, Beachwood Canyon, uh, in, in Hollywood, and right down the street, or actually right below the Hollywood sign, and then at the bottom of uh, Beachwood Canyon is the Scientology Center, and uh, I have not embraced Scientology, but uh, I used to see all the Scientologists running in and out of there, which was, was pretty interesting, and they have a little, uh, Tom Cruise apparently on, on all of his film sets, he has like a little Scientology kiosk for everybody, so that they choose to embrace Elrond's ways. Uh, they can, but yeah, you don't have to embrace Scientology when you move out here. Well, you know, just so. uh, to be, um, you know, just to kind of to kind of fill you in. That was Graham. He had a question for you, and uh, he, he, wanted, <laughs> he wanted to give you a question. And if you want to give Graham a little shout out here, here's your chance. Oh, uh, Graham! You know, I have to thank you, brother Graham Flanagan. Uh, we, I think we both sort of got into a uh, film taste, sort of um, evolved at the same time. So I mean, I remember Graham introducing me to a lot of stuff, but. Uh, He appreciates you starring in uh, one of his very, very early. Uh, and he said, he said McG fans too. Y'all became uh, instant. Charlie <laughs> Bagel. Uh, yeah, well, Ben, look, we've really enjoyed this. It's been insightful. And I think that uh, if a lot of UA students manage to catch this show today or the podcast later on, they're really going to have uh, a lot to learn from what uh, you've experienced and what you've told them today. So, look, we really appreciate you joining us this early. Uh, I'm sure you'll probably jump back into bed. It's early out there on the West Coast, but thank you very much again, and maybe we can uh, have you back on in the future. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. And, yeah, I'd I'd like to encourage everyone to move out here and give it a shot. You know, nobody has your perspective but you, and uh, that's what makes you unique. And if you're a filmmaker or writer, go for it. So. Awesome. That's Ben Moorhead, UA alum, L.A. resident. He's out there in Hollywood. He's mixing it up, so uh, maybe look for his credit. Uh, in the meantime, uh, coming out on 1010, stay for the end credits, and you'll see Ben Moorhead, stage technician. Look him up on IMDb, see what he's up to. Uh, this is Aspect Radio. This is going to be a little Sparrow and the Ghost. They're playing a benefit tonight for 90.7 at the Mellow Mushroom, along with uh, The Last Great Fiction, I believe. Is the name that's of the right, other band. yeah yeah so that's going to be a mellow mushroom tonight a benefit ninety point seven benefits are always fun we'll be right back here this is the movie talk show on ninety point seven Liam and me we're gonna f- you up yeah well you know that's just like uh, your opinion man ninety point seven.
here on Aspect Radio, uh, we just left with Ben Moorhead, who joined us, and he is a UA alum, uh, graduated here with a film studies degree in the telecommunications and film department. He told us about his adventures out in Los Angeles, and he's been fairly successful working with the likes of Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan. So good for him. We're proud, and we hope to have him back on. It's time to get into our DVD picks before we get into our announcements, so let's start it off with Craft Services. Let me take a moment, first of all, to um, address... Because I, I, I didn't give my worst of the year earlier, and uh, I feel that in the wake of slanderous talk about where the wild things are and the box and whatever works, I feel like I should throw mine out there. Okay. Um, first being uh, Rob Marshall's Nine, which is some misguided Oscar bait, if ever there was any. Uh, second, which I've been very vocal about, um, 500 Days of Summer, which um, was totally not worth any of the hype at all that sounds like a way. that sounds like a spite worst man it that, is that sounds like it a totally spite worst. but but i mean like uh, let me qualify these by okay. saying these are not really like the worst movies of the year these are the movies that disappointed me the most i think whatever works is one of the worst movies of the year well not that's ju- foolish not not just, just what not just what disappointed me it certainly disappointed me but i think that it is a legitimately genuinely bad movie but go ahead Corey. all right all right uh the third movie um and this this pains me to say it um, is the lovely bones, which was misguided from start to finish in just about every way. But where the wild things are, really, like, come on, not not one of the worst. Anyway, all right, on to craft services. I, I have three choices, um, all three of which come out on this upcoming Tuesday. Um, released on blu-ray for the first time ever those three choices are the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring the lord of the rings the two towers and the lord of the rings the return of the king uh now keep in mind blu-ray aficionados these are only the theatrical cuts that are being released which i prefer i prefer fellowship theatrically and I think the extended versions of the other two work better. Two Towers extended version is pretty good. I haven't yeah. seen Return of the King oh, yet. Oh, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's considerably longer, obviously, but it fills in a lot of the connective tissue that was it was sort of lacking, I think, in that one in particular. But Fellowship Theatrical is my preferred version. Uh, in any case, it's Blu-ray. It's The Lord of the Rings. What do you want? Yeah. Uh, which makes the Lovely Bones thing even more painful for me. Well, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know, when I saw bad. that trailer, I was like, that looks like a mess. Do I want to pay to see that? I'll trust Peter Jackson, maybe, and I just never wound up seeing it in the theater. I, you know, I'm sure I'll redbox it when it comes out. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway. It's a mess. Is that it for your, your, your picks? Yeah, those three. I mean, obviously, if you're inclined, you can you can rent um, an education, which I recommended earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this Tuesday, also, Werner Herzog's um, The Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, yeah. shows up which is uh, a lot of fun in my opinion though i think that was uh, ben stark's pick for worst of 2009 last week yeah and you know it's one of those qualified picks where it's it's a little more disappointing than it is just truly bad yeah but i look forward to watching and i like herzog i like nicholas cage on crack cocaine uh so I, I can't wait uh pick something out of the dvd ben um have i mentioned fantastic mr fox today i think i have it was my number two of the year uh, I've watched it probably five times from beginning to end since I watched it the first time, which was last week on DVD. I didn't get to see it in theaters like a moron, um, but <laughs> I'm glad I saw it on DVD because um, when I started watching it about 20 minutes in, it took me a while to really immerse myself into the story, into the actual narrative mm-hmm. and what was going on because I was so uh, 
overwhelmed by the visuals of it. And I wanted to study every single little frame, you know, because Wes Anderson and his uh, unbelievable team of animators, they brought their A-game, and I think that they made one of the, not only one of the best stop-motion movies ever, um, I think that it, it was one of the best movies of 2009, and, and I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and let me just say that for those of you who, like me, have made the Blu-ray conversion, this is a must-buy. It's excellent. Yeah, well, tonight I'll be watching the new White Stripes documentary under Great White Northern Lights, which is a chronicle of their Icky Thump tour stretched through Canada that's directed by Emmett Malloy. I'm a big White Stripes fan. and I've actually seen this. Yeah? Yeah. What do you think it's, of it? It's good. I, you know, I, I have a, uh, a passing knowledge of the White stripes mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a huge fan but i enjoy what i've heard of them and uh, this is an interesting movie yeah it's you know what's interesting also is that we haven't really seen i i think that they're a band that's really sort of uh, ripe for um you know a documentary you know in a, in, a, in a good concert film and they released a dvd several years ago or a few years ago called uh, under blackpool lights mm-hmm. which was another concert dvd and it was pretty straightforward this is more of uh, takes a little more of a cinematic approach and uh, mixes a few interviews in there and uh, just what they're up to in canada while also sort of mixing together their live performances uh, that should be fun but uh, let's get into some quick announcements before we leave opening nationwide and in tuscaloosa yesterday and it's open today at the cobb hollywood 16 clash of the titans in 3d and 2d and Corey, you saw this movie uh, how about a quick word on it? I thought it was kind of terrible. Just a quick note, I, I usually, whenever the option is available to me, I usually check out these movies in 3D. Um, but word was overwhelming that the 3D process, the post-conversion process for Clash of the Titans is a mess from every single pre-release review that I read of it. So I opted for 2D. And uh, it's not really a very good movie. I mean, it's um, it looks nice. So I'm sure that the 3D just further obscures some pretty nice photography in this movie but it's i mean it's boring what about the kraken man it's boring the kraken is not released for very long i hate to say it but i mean what little kraken carnage there is is pretty awesome but i mean me i need something other than kraken carnage to to satisfy my uh my giant monster lust and uh well do you think that this movie might be entertaining for kids would, will they, will they embrace it? Scary for the youngest kids, but but yeah, I mean, if I were like eleven years old, I'd think it was pretty sweet. But like, in the wake of every single other movie that's exactly like this, I don't know. Yeah, and you're gonna have to explain your monster lust comment on maybe a de- uh, different show. <laughs> uh, but uh, also opening. Oh, and, and a quick a quick thing too. I want to ask you just uh, give me a quick answer. Uh, I haven't really been super impressed with Sam Worthington as a leading yeah. man, uh, as somebody who can command uh, the screen and our attention. Um, and I haven't seen this movie yet, but this is his third crack at a huge hollywood film do you think that this guy has the chops does he have the potential or has he already established himself as a as a uh, formidable leading man in hollywood evidently he's established himself i feel like he gives pretty much the same performance in this as he did in terminator salvation and avatar well he hasn't established himself with audience well that's that's true i I, you know what you know what it's going to take somebody needs to give this guy a script with a little bit of humor in it yeah because he's had three completely grim humorless yeah. movies in a row i have a feeling that he's a he could potentially be a pretty like charming funny screen presence while he's blowing people up mm-hmm. and like shooting guns and whatnot but i mean obviously we've not seen any evidence of that thus far there are glimpses in clash of the titans 
that he he might have some like i guess the thought i have is true lies like if somebody were to remake true lies god forbid <laughs> uh he he might be a good fit for that some sort of light action type movie and we get glimpses of that in clash of the titans but we just haven't seen that yet and it's pretty he's pretty flat well i'll tell you what um and i'll say this just like i, I believe the same thing about eric banna and he's he's had the opportunity to sort of um, showcase this. Let him be Australian. Right. You know, let him be Australian on screen because the the real versions of themselves are you know when they when they put that uh, to, you know into their acting craft, they're much more charming. They they have a lot more screen presence. You saw it in Chopper, obviously early in Eric Bana's career. Yeah. I mean, it's his best performance, and his other best performance in a uh, U.S. released film is probably in Judd Apatow's Funny People. Which I agree. He, he's hilarious in that and he gets to be himself. He gets to be Australian. So let him do it. He, they don't have to force these American accents that um, make them boring overall. But um, also opening is Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married 2 T.O.O. And the last song a Nicholas Sparks adaptation with Miley Cyrus. I'm just waiting with bated breath to see that We're one. We're doing a two hour show on the last song next week. Uh, here on ninety point. So I wonder. I wonder which character um, contracts a fatal illness in this <laughs> oh, God. one. I mean, that's a Nicholas Sparks mainstay, right? And you've heard uh, Nicholas Sparks comments on, on Cormac McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Them fighting words. <laughs> they are, man, and they're pretty. Uh, they seem kind of unwarranted. So I don't know, man. And before we get into our announcements real fast, uh, Corey, did you catch the Expendables trailer, the new full length? I actually haven't seen it yet. No. I gotta say, man. Um, are you familiar with who pops up in the trailer? Yeah. Um, Schwarzenegger is back in the movies, uh, and he's in this trailer. And obviously Bruce Willis, uh, he and Stallone and Willis are all on screen together. Um, and look, The Expendables is going to be what it is. It's going to be a pretty dumb action movie. I, th I don't think we need to expect much more than that. I mean, what has Stallone really done to show us that he's uh, still the guy who wrote something as poignant as Rocky way back in 76? I think he's Rambo. a... Or you mean the, the the last Rambo? Yeah, Rambo. Um, yeah, well, uh, look, I like Stallone. I, I'm in his corner most of the time, but and I will see the Expendables, you know, because of what it is and, you know, the kind of chatter it's creating on the Internet. But I must say the, like, five seconds that Schwarzenegger is in that trailer and seeing him back on screen uh, doing his thing in an action film, it kind of brought some comfort to me as a moviegoer <laughs> and somebody who grew up watching, you know, Schwarzenegger kick-ass in action movies, you know? It's like this guy, he's doing it again, maybe when he's out of office. And, and it's cool that he did a favor for Stallone and uh, appeared in this movie. I think that's pretty awesome in, unto itself, but uh, I, I'll see it maybe, you know, just for that one little cameo sequence. Um, but I think it could be a good movie, too. But anyway, on to, on to the rest of the announcements. Well, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. If you feel we've missed something or you have any suggestions as to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please email us. You can also follow us at Twitter uh, at, at uh, 907movies. Actually, what? I didn't adjust the script, but we are actually at Aspect Radio now. Awesome. Yeah, so find us there. Uh, and I'm sorry that I did not update that for you, Corey. Well, that's okay. I just look like <laughs> a fool now, that's all. No, you don't. Uh, so Twitter just... at Aspect Radio. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So they were, we're, we're official. That's now. great. <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, so. And if you do send a response to us, we might even read a comment or two on air, uh, even if they are as ridiculous as Where the Wild Things Are being <laughs> the worst movie of 2009. Yeah, and we're going to podcast this and other episodes of the show, and uh, you can find those on my blog at benaround.tumblr.com, and Tumblr is spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. Uh, and look out for an independent blog 
being dedicated to this show, maybe an aspect radio.tumblr.com will be uh, on the horizon pretty soon. And Corey and I also write film-focused Facebook notes, so if that's your preference, there's that. And you can also catch my and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. And don't forget about tonight's big 90.7 benefit concert at the Mellow Mushroom with bands Sparrow and the Ghost and The Last Great Fiction. That's starting at 9 p.m. And look, any 90.7 benefit that I've attended, it's really been an absolute blast, so you really won't want to miss that. So for Corey Kraft, I am Ben Flanagan. We really do appreciate you listening, and we appreciate Ben Moorhead coming on, talking Hollywood and Christopher Nolan and all that good stuff with us. Thank you so much for listening. See you later. <laughs>